0: Hello, and welcome to Co-OpCast, where game designers Peter Goosis and Michael Kelly talk about cooperative board games. Join us each week as we break down one game and have a related design discussion. Hi, I'm Peter, and I'm here with Mike. Hey, hey, hey. And we have a returning guest, Colin from One Stop Co-Op Shop. Hello, Woo! everyone. Yeah. Excited to be back. We are excited to have you. And this week, we're going to be talking about something you probably have never heard of before. It's kind of a little-known game called Gloomhaven, which will probably be number one on BoardGameGeek by the time this thing posts. Seriously. So, Colin, welcome back.
1: Yeah, thanks so much for you guys for having me. I appreciate it.
0: Uh, We
2: love having you on the show, Colin. Uh, Your previous episode, if you all haven't heard it, go back and listen to our review of Spirit Island to hear uh, Colin's dulcet voice again. But yeah, that was one of the most fun episodes we've done, so we couldn't wait to get you back on the show, and I'm glad you're here. All right, so uh, Gloomhaven, should we start off with a thematic explanation or some rules?
0: Yeah, and I'll go through a quick thematic explanation. Basically, this set in a fantasy universe, you're in a tavern in the intro scenario and you're a mercenary, but you've been sitting around drinking for a while and a merchant comes up to you named Xira and they offers you gold to bring back some documents that have been taken from them. And that's the intro to the game. So the interesting thing about this universe, though, is it's not a standard fantasy universe. You have different races than you usually see. You certainly have undead units and you have, you know, demons, things you've seen before. But there are also things like Craghearts and Inox and Vermlings. So different races than you'd heard of. You get to learn about them. And you have different classes than I've seen before, too. Typically, you think, you know, warrior, mage, cleric. But in this, you start out with classes like the Brute, the Scoundrel, the Spellweaver, the tinker, the Mind Thief. So, a little bit different than your normal fantasy universe. Yeah, although they do break down into kind of typical classes in a way. Like, the Brute is
2: fairly typical fighter, the Spellweaver is a fairly typical wizard, that kind of thing. Absolutely. So, Mike, why don't you get into the rules for us? Alright, so there's a lot going on here. I'm going to break it down to the basics. This is a campaign-based system. You can play it in one-offs and in a sort of dungeon-crawl mode, but definitely the way it's meant to be played is in the campaign. You'll go on adventures one at a time, and on the way to adventures, you'll have little travel events. In the city, you'll have city events. But when you really get down to it, the meat of the game and almost the entire game experience is in the adventures. You're on a board in a fairly typical dungeon-crawl style with uh, hexes, And you've got enemies on the board, and you only see the enemies in your first room. And then as you open doors, you see more enemies. But all of your actions on the turn are controlled by these cards that are unique to your class. Completely unique. Every class has their own set of between 9 and 11 cards, generally. And what you do on your turn is you pick two of those cards. And the cards will have a top action, which is generally an attack. And they'll have a bottom action, which is generally movement. And then uh, each card also has an initiative value from 1 to 99. And what you do is you play the two cards and you pick which one is your top card that's going to actually determine your initiative for the round. Everyone does this simultaneously. And then you reveal a card for each type of enemy. So uh, that's going to be both their initiative number and also what their AI is doing this turn. So all the Vermling Scouts will do one thing, and all of the Inox Archers will do another thing, and all the Flame Demons will do a third thing. And that determines the initiative order, so you see whose numbers are lower, closer to one, and the lower your number, the earlier you go. But when your turn comes up, you get to decide which card's top action you use and which card's bottom action you use. So you're going to pair them up one way or the other, but uh, you don't have to have made that choice before you played the two cards. You make it when your turn in the initiative order actually comes up. So based on the state of the board, I might change which move I was going to do and which attack I was going to do. Additionally, you always have the option to just do a basic attack for two damage with the top option and a basic movement for two, movement with the bottom option. So even if everything you plan kind of goes to heck, you can still fall back on those basic actions. Some actions will give you experience, which you mark, um, and at the end of scenarios when you go back to the city, you can level up if you get enough experience. Additionally, you might have items, fairly typical dungeon crawl stuff. Cards can also be discarded to cancel damage. Cards are sometimes trashed if they have really powerful effects that you use them for. But in general, in the end, it kind of breaks down to typical dungeon crawl stuff. You're moving around, fighting enemies, they're attacking you, you're trying to survive, you're healing yourself, you're picking up treasure, you're picking up chests, and trying to beat whatever the objective of the mission happens to be. And most of them, the, the majority of that I've seen, are some form of kill a boss or defeat all of the enemies. There are more unique objectives in there, but that's kind of the basic bread and butter you'll be doing for a lot of missions.
0: Yeah, and the only other thing I want to cover real quick is your card deck is also a timer for the game. So as you're using your cards, you're discarding them to discard pile. Like Mike said, some of them you'll trash, but you're only ever going to have those 9, 11 cards based on what character you use for the entire mission. Every time you want to pull the cards back in your hand, you're going to have to perform a rest and discard one of those cards. So as you're going further and further into the game, this hand of cards you have becomes smaller and smaller. So it serves as a timer for the game. You have to complete the mission before you run out of cards, basically. All right. So, Mike, why don't you explain our top five system? If you have not listened to CoopCast before,
2: what we do is we will each go through and we'll start with our fifth most important aspect or uh, item about the game. And each of these could be a con, could be a mix, could be pro... And we'll work up to our number one most interesting or most unique or most important part of the game. So we'll all do our number five, then our number four, and so on until we get to the number one. And at the end, we'll give our overall thoughts about the game's recommendations, that kind of stuff. So uh, Colin, you're the guest today. I would love for you to start with your number five for the game.
1: Woot, woot. All right. Well, my number five would be... its Overall, it's a mix for me, and that is the campaign system itself. So Gloomhaven overall has one of the largest campaign systems I've ever seen in a co-op game. I mean, there are 90-plus scenarios. You could play this game for months on end and probably still never finish the campaign. I do know what, three people that have finished the campaign? But those people have no life. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but seriously, that's what they've had to do to be able to finish it. I mean, there are there's just so much packed in that box. And so having that sprawling campaign with side quests, you're going to be going and retiring your characters, grabbing new characters. It's so cool and it just provides you with so much replayability you pull that game out you're never going to play the same scenario twice unless you lose one but uh, if you don't lose one why would you ever play in a scenario twice because you're just going to keep going on there's so much to see which is great but there is one issue with that for me and and For me personally, I really like a game like Sword and Sorcery where there is a linear progression and I know where the story is going. So as I'm playing the game, even if I haven't played it in the last month and I jump back in, I know exactly where the story is. I feel like there's progression and I'm going and I I like that because when... What's happened to us is we were going through the story, we did about 20 plays, and then we decided, you know what, it's time to retire our characters, and so we found side quests that would do that, but then when we retired our characters and we did all those different side quests, all of a sudden we couldn't even figure out where the main campaign was, you know, we didn't know, well, which one do we need to go to, and we're flipping through the scenario book, and we're spending all this time just trying to find the blasted main storyline, and I don't even know if we're on it, to be completely honest, so, you know, it's... That can work for some people. Some people love that, but for me, I have discovered through this game how much I enjoy a storyline that I can follow because it makes me feel like I am progressing through the campaign instead of just randomly picking different ones to play.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. We've had the exact same experience. Mike, did you want to jump in on that?
2: Well, yeah, I mean, I am going to talk about this a bit more later, but it's funny you mentioned like the whole being lost because literally, (laughs) you know, we, we play one or two scenarios a week. We don't get to get together much more uh, frequently than that and yeah it's like we're like all right do we want to do number five or number 51 uh (laughs) number five has us talking to a wizard and number 51 has us fighting skeletons you know, I've, yeah i've literally no well, idea where the, i am
1: the problem with it is so like we did something that was kind of big in the campaign right so we did that and then we went on to our side quest and we got to meet all these new enemies and it was so cool and then now we've come back to the we think the main the main storyline we're like oh it's skeletons again that's boring you know it was, it was almost yeah it was almost anticlimactic you know and so that's why for me it's it's great that they have that and there's so many branches right so as you're going you can choose to go one way or another and it's going to block off other scenarios that's going to allow you to if you wanted start a whole nother uh, group and go the other way which is really cool but but then it gets to the point where you just don't know where you are
0: yeah Yeah, i totally agree i wish they had had some kind of a like green path you're on the green path now this is the main yellow brick road yeah you know because i'll be honest there are, like, seven or eight missions we have unlocked, and I have no idea which one is the main story. <laughs> <Totally. class. laughs> and it came to a point where we even went in to do a mission... And then we realized halfway through, we started reading the story. It's like, wait a minute, we already did a favor for you? What are you talking about? (laughs) We realized that we had to do a different mission before we did that mission. But really, when you look at the map, there's no way at all to know that. I guess in the campaign book, it tells you, oh, there's a prerequisite for it. But we obviously skipped that part. We're halfway through the mission. It's like, what are you talking about? So we actually played those two missions out of order. We played the second one and then we went back and you know did, <laughs> you the, did first the favor one afterwards. after you are did did f- yeah, so favor. so we used
2: the magic orb to solve the puzzle and then we <laughs> got the magic orb it was this whole time thing you know it was amazing temporal so risks yes. you know
1: <laughs> you know what someone needs to do and you know someone's going to do this is they need to create the branching stories yeah, right they just need yeah. to create it and then You can just print that out, and then you can see the main storyline, and then it would make life so much easier. I know it takes some work, but if someone did that, oh, that would be so nice.
2: Well, you know what I've been doing, honestly. um, With you know, I've I've been playing a solo campaign uh, since I got my copy from the Kickstarter, the second Kickstarter. Literally every time I get a side mission, I immediately do it just to get that stuff out of the way <sighs> so that all I point. have in front of me is, like, the
0: important missions, and I know what they are because they're all that's left.
1: <laughs> oh, that's a great idea.
0: Well, yeah, if you have time to do 99 missions before you get to the end of the campaign, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's sure, a good it's point. a great idea. But the one thing I also find is a problem with it is I do lose the main story. Like, I don't know what the main story is. I don't know if I'm on the right path, as you said, uh, Colin, earlier. I don't know if I'm on the right path, because I don't even remember what the story is. If we do two (laughs) or three side quests in a row, I have no clue of what's going on in the main story anymore. Now, to be fair, uh, it's interesting, all the stuff we're saying, I think, totally applies
2: for me to uh, many of the open-world computer role-playing games. Like I feel the exact same way playing Skyrim or the Fallout series or uh, or the Witcher series because I'll get so into all these side quests and so into stuff I'll be like, wait, what was I doing again? Why am I going to this house? So at, at least it's a common problem in really big, huge role playing games, not just something that's only for Gloomhaven. Yeah, absolutely.
0: All right. Well, I promise you, we're not each going to take ten minutes for our number five. So <laughs> yeah, sorry with about that, that note. <laughs> no that's i no, it wasn't you we we went off ourselves so mike
2: what is your number five so my number five is a mixed one as well like colin and that is that the game is overproduced Now, I'm leaning on the pro for this, because you get so much stuff for your money in here. It's such a huge box. It's so just packed with material, and I love that. It's a great value. And also, like, it's really cool that you have a miniature for every character, at least in the second edition Kickstarter. And uh, you have tokens for every single enemy, and you have AI cards for every single enemy, and you have all these different tiles, so that when you're in a a, uh, dungeon... You're going to have like tiles that all match, so this dungeon's red, and this dungeon's blue, and this dungeon's green. But uh, that's where the overproduce kind of becomes a negative for me, because it makes setup take a lot longer, and makes organizing the game really like beastly and complicated. What I've actually done with my own copy is uh, I've just said, forget it, to all of the extra monsters, and I've just taken six monsters... And so now, everyone, I just put like a monster type on it, and that's what it is for the game. So hey, fire demons, you're represented by a skeleton, and uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, bear, you're represented by a vermling, and it makes the game so much faster. And same thing with the uh, map tiles. I don't care if I have a blue tile or a red tile; it's the right shape. Bam, there you go, it works. <laughs> and uh, the, the one that really saves me time are the little like obstacles and things you place on the map. I don't give a what, what I just played a mission where I was in a volcano and I had like all this lava and I just put down like gas traps and other traps because that's all I had at hand. <laughs> and I set up the mission in like three minutes. So <laughs> so the overproduction is like totally useless for me because I'm just like, come on, I just want to play the game. But, uh, you know,
0: at the same time, I recognize the value and the cool amount of stuff you're getting. So my number five goes right along with what you were just saying, and that is a very long setup for the game. So the reason it's my number five is there are some tricks that you can use, like Mike said, just using generic tokens as all the enemies. Or what I did is I spent $80 for an insert that every enemy has its own box. So I just pull out the, you know, three, four enemies for that mission, and they're all in one box. What I did for my friend Jerry's as a cheap way to do it is I just Ziploc baggied all the enemies along with their cards, and so they're all together. So when you need to scout, you just pull out the scout bag. So that is a way to make setup a lot faster. But you're right. The terrain tiles are all different. And here's the other thing that bothered me. The map tiles, they lettered them in the weirdest possible way. Like, I don't understand why it's like A2B is this one tile. And then, like, it's I6A, like, <laughs> as another tile. Like, it's like... Why can't you number them 1 to 24 or 1 to 50? Like, I don't understand. Like, I get their lettering system, so every A is the same shape map tile. But I'll be honest, that doesn't help me at all when I'm looking through (laughs) all these tiles to figure out which one is A to B. I mean, it is just the weirdest. I don't know why they did that. I've never seen it in any other game before. But yeah, so setup is a little bit of a beast. The reason it's number five for me, though, like I said, is there are some tricks that you can use to help speed up setup. But for me, that is just a straight up negative. I don't know why they have 57 different tiles that all represent a blocking terrain. I don't know why they couldn't be something generic.
1: Yeah, and I find that really interesting because for me, I, I wouldn't think to myself initially that Gloomhaven is overproduced because if you think about it, all of the components really are pieces of cardboard, right? There's only 24 minis. The rest of it's all just cardboard. And so to me, I mean, comparing it to like Sword and Sorcery, you'd feel like Sword and Sorcery is overproduced because of all of the miniatures, all of the, you know, the 3D doors, all of that. You have none of that in Gloomhaven. It's just the basic little cardboard chits that you're using. But you're so right. He has so many different types of the same thing. I just don't know why. And I guess maybe it's just to give you that more RPG feel. But, yeah, great points.
2: Well, Colin, how would I know I was in a volcano unless there was actually a token? <laughs> unless, unless the dungeon was red and there was actually a token that shows lava. Oh, that's a good point. I would point. have no idea I was in a volcano. No, you'd man. have no idea. You
1: couldn't use your imagination. That'd be too hard. You oh, know? God. Yeah, you yeah, yeah terrible.
2: <laughs> All right, Colin, so what's your number four? Okay,
1: number four is a straight-out negative for me, and that is... And it's actually a negative with my with my wife. So this game I've played... Only with my wife and one other person. So three people. We've been playing the entire um, series together. And that is that we feel like it was a bit samey after a while. And this is going to be the case with any sort of dungeon crawl campaign game. The difference is with Gloomhaven, because there are so many scenarios. I mean, if you think of something like Sword and Sorcery. You have, what, seven campaign stories so far? That's it. I think there's going to be a total of like 15. That's it. You're done. Then you just grab a new character and you can start the whole thing again. But with Gloomhaven, I mean, we've played it 30 times and you're you're, you're doing the same thing all the time. You are cards in your hand, play two, discard them, then take a rest, lose one and gain one back to your hand. You know, you're doing this over and over and over again and the objectives just don't feel like they change enough for us to constitute playing it consistently over and over again without taking a break. So what we've had to do is we we take, you know, two or three weeks of a break, then come back, play it a bunch, and then oh we need a break because it just feels so samey. So I, I just wish some of the objectives would kind of be a little bit different than what I've seen so far. I mean I have not seen the whole thing and maybe I'm missing out on that. And so that is a caveat I should put. But so far, out of thirty plus plays, I have felt very much like, oh it's the same thing each round. So that that that's for us is a negative.
2: Yeah, and I'll I'll totally agree with that. That was one of my honorable mentions. I think out of all the scenarios we've played, I've probably seen like four that were actively different, but definitely less than ten percent. Like I'm talking about maybe like five percent.
1: Okay. <laughs> Most yeah. of them
2: do feel fairly
0: similar. Yeah, and it's funny because for the Kickstarter campaign, they had all these campaigns or all these different missions, and they were all very different from each other. And you know, so the ideas were there. Isaac had the ideas. I wish he would have put them in the main game.
1: He might have just been worried, you know, he might have just been worried that people wouldn't like that. And so he kept it this way. I mean, you know, if you think about it, this is a big Kickstarter. So he wanted it to be geared towards people that like dungeon crawls. And that's what you do in a dungeon crawl. So hopefully, at some point in the future, maybe he can release some more scenarios that are more different. Well, that reminds
2: me, I want to go back and play that Kickstarter mini campaign, because there was one mission where, like, you're cooking meat, and that just sounds amazing. <laughs> that
1: totally does.
2: That's so cool. Yeah, you're, like, cooking meat while, like, people attack your vermling friends. you got to, like, protect your friends and cook the
0: meat.
1: It's great. Got to get back and flip With it. The, yeah.
2: yeah, the idea of it, man, is just amazing. Oh, that's
1: so cool. <laughs> All
0: right, Mike, so what is your number four? So, uh, Colin and I, we're
2: not saying the same stuff, but we're following the same format. We both started with a mix, and now we both have a con. Mine is... I'm not quite sure why this was so high for me, but it's a a mechanic that I tend to hate, and that is the semi-cooperative nature of some of the mechanics in the game. So to explain what I mean, uh, we didn't go into these details, but uh, there's several things that you're not supposed to share with the other players... So, for one, you have a career goal that will determine when your character is retired. Not supposed to tell anybody else. Every time you do a mission, you get one of two uh, goals for that mission that will get you some check marks towards uh, advancing. Not supposed to tell anybody else or uh, let them know like what you're working towards. And sometimes what you're working towards might mess up the group. You uh, collect money individually. You can't trade money. You can't trade items, which is not like a lot of you know RPGs and dungeon crawlers I've played. Um, and you know, thematically it's okay, I guess, because like you're all mercenaries, but God, your mercenaries are, like fighting demons together. I think at some point you're going to form some camaraderie and, and want to help each other out. Um, so basically none of that works for me. I get that it could make the tactical gameplay more interesting, I guess, and more dynamic, but... It's just I'm such a D and D guy from back in the day, and and not a D and D guy playing with like all chaotic evil characters that are stabbing each other in the back. But you know, like a typical D and D, like helping each other out, helping all the townsfolk, being a good guy, and uh, yeah, just the mechanics of the game, the forced semi cooperativeness. I don't like it, and honestly, I usually don't play with it. Like in uh, our three player game that we've done, the majority of the stuff with. We sort of follow the rules, but we'll, like, give hints about our goal for the mission, or we'll, we'll trade money sometimes if somebody really wants to buy a good item. Um, but, you know, it's, it's a little irking that I have to break the rules to do what comes naturally for me in a dungeon crawler.
0: Yeah, I agree with you on that. It is, uh, when we first read that, we had to look back and make sure that it was right, and then look into it again. It's like, wait a minute, that can't be right. That doesn't make any sense. Yeah, I agree. It's not on my list, but it is bothersome to me as well. It's like, we have one guy who is a ranged character, and range characters find it much easier to get money from what I've seen, because melee characters Absolutely. have to go up and get into melee, and then they use their attack, and then when they attack, the, the enemy drops their loot, and then you don't have another move. So our range character literally keeps running up after he shoots something. He's just he, hoovering up all the money, man. <laughs> Seriously. Yeah, and he gets... Literally all the money. And so we're like, okay, well, I'd like to buy some items as well. So it's, it's a little bit weird and you feel a little bit disjointed and you feel a little out of it. It's like, wait a minute, I'm not getting cool new stuff. Why are you getting cool new stuff?
1: The one devil's advocate for that is the battle objectives incredibly help with the whole alpha gamer thought. So I think Isaac was really going for, you know, some people get frustrated playing a dungeon crawl and one person's done a ton and they just tell everybody what to do. Well, you can't tell me what to do when I've got my own battle objective. And you know what? I need to go and open that door, even if it's not good for our team, because I really need that perk. And that's actually going to help us all in the long run, even though you don't know that yet. <laughs> and so I, I understand where he's coming from with the battle objectives. The loot, I'm 100% agreeing with, though. I never understand why you don't share the money. I mean, because you guys are exactly right. I had never thought about it, but the range guys were always so... I was playing the Brute, and my buddy was playing the tinker, and he was just picking up all the loot, and here I am, here I am the Brute, <laughs> getting attacked all the time, and then I could <laughs> yep. never get any money, you know? so I if... feel like I'd be
2: really mad at the tinker because <laughs> yeah. we have the exact same thing in our game. Seriously. I'm the Brute, he's the tinker, and I'm like, why are you so rich? Like, I'm over here bleeding to death and he's like buying gold jewelry you know
1: seriously it's unfair yeah
0: and then and he's yeah. like i could heal you but it's one space away it's like no it's not you could move closer no but there's a gold here i can't move one space closer i gotta get this gold so i can't heal you this turn i'm sorry like what what is going on here oh man so i guess in some way it does create that thematic story where you are all out for yourself if that was the goal then mission achieved i guess yeah All right, Peter, how about your number four? All right, so for a game that's quickly rocketing up to number one, it is amazing that it has taken us six things to finally come up with something that is a pure positive. (laughs) So (laughs) this one is definitely just a pro for me, and I like the universe. As much as we say it's generic fantasy, it is and it's not. I like the fact that you have this character, the Cragheart. I like that you have these Inox. I like that you have the Vermlings. I like that they're not called... You know, the brute's not called a tank. You know, I like the thematic connection to that. I like looking at the outside of the boxes that we haven't opened yet and saying, I wonder what that character is. I wonder what that character does, you know, and I know we're going to open up things that we may have not even seen yet. So it leads and builds my excitement for opening up new content The fact that we haven't seen everything in the universe yet, and it's not a universe I'm familiar with. So I'm looking forward to opening the boxes even more because of that. Nice. Callan, number three.
1: Okay, my number three is a little bit of a cop-out because I didn't know how to fit all this in. But I'm going to call it overall mechanics. I have this as a huge positive for me for this game. What gets me into a game is a theme, right? The theme gets me excited about a game, but what keeps me playing it is the mechanics. And that is what I see in this game. I would say 90% of the mechanics I love. I'm going to run through my favorite ones and then a couple ones that I wasn't as a fan of, but that should be quick. The first one is the response deck. How the response deck works, using no dice, but instead having an upgradable system for your attacks awesome and you can even each person will have their own upgrades for their own specific response deck which is fantastic so when i was the brute i couldn't get rid of all of my minuses but with the tinker he could and so it meant that he was more guaranteed to hit but it was usually not as strong and when i did get a hit i would do a big one but i could also totally miss or get a minus two you know awesome I love, personally, the battle objectives. I know that that kind of makes that semi-co-op a little bit, depending on what those battle objectives are. But I really like how we each have... I kind of think of it as a personal objective, and I like being able to, you know, do something that someone goes, well, "Why are you doing that?" And they don't have to even understand. I can just pick it and choose it on my own based on what's best for me. But then also, because I'm doing that, then as a team, we're going to get better because I gain upgrades based on how I get those battle objectives done. My only um, caveat for those battle objectives is I don't know why he has some with one checks and two checks because I seem to always draw the two checkers, and that's great for me, but. All, you know, Monica and Timothy get so mad at me because they never, ever do. And so I'm always getting all these perks and upgrades, and they're not because they only can get one around, and it's random. And so they get frustrated and want to redraw over and over again. I'm like, I have no problem. I've got two. <laughs> What's your problem? So anyways, overall, though, love the battle objectives. I love the idea of the long rest versus the short rest. So when you take that long rest, you get to decide what to lose. But with that short rest, you randomly have to lose a card from your hand of cards that's in the discard pile. And that's such a, oh, do I want to waste a whole turn just so I know what card to lose? Or do I want to just keep going and short rest? Oh, man. And then the last one is retiring characters. I, I, When I first started playing I was I don't ever wanna retire a character and when the first time I did retire, I didn't wanna do it. But once I did it, I understood why Isaac did this, because you would not be able to play 90 scenarios with one character. He's going to get A, too strong, and B, you're going to get way too bored. But with retiring a character, I went from the from the brute over to the craig heart, and just the difference, and even though both of those you can kind of think of as a little bit of as a tank, one is more ranged and one is more melee, and it just opened up the game for me in a totally different way. So I loved that um yeah you could start getting coins exactly (laughs) it was really weird um but yeah so the the couple things i didn't like as much is looting just bugs me as we've talked about you know i think that you should just be able to when you walk over the money you can pick it up that way someone who is melee could actually get some coins um i also wish the town i mean think of shadows over uh how fun you can have outside of your adventure in gloomhaven there just isn't much there and i wish there was more i want to do more outside of just attacking right and and that would create that true rpg feel and then the the final thing was the ai i mean i i love how the ai works but So many times they do stupid things. And, you know, you think of sword and sorcery and how they've got different things that they can do. And, okay, if they can't do this part, you go to the next part. There's so much more... um, I don't know cooler I feel like in sword and sorcery and even the D&D adventure board games just because they've got a list and you can follow instead of just oh they move and attack well there's they can only move through traps so guess what they're gonna walk through the trap and kill themselves I mean you know I just I don't like that as much I wish they had a little bit more to them but yeah that I know that was a crazy number three (laughs) but yeah overall the mechanics for me huge positive
2: all right Mike so what's your number three So mine is kind of coming back to things that have been said before a bit. Um, And it is a mixed one, so I don't have a pro yet. And that is the, the theme kind of overall. So it's mixed because, as Colin said earlier, the story is a little hard to follow, not that engaging. The overall plot doesn't really make me light up that much. But like you said, Peter, the new races, the new world we're in... And also just the breadth of the world, how I feel like it's a living place. I look at this big board and get to see like where the forests are and where the places are, and I travel around that world, and there's a nice uh, description for each of the scenarios about what's going on, and there's fun events to be had, and characters can come back and all this crazy stuff. All of that is amazing. It doesn't really fully make up for the plot being so weak for me. But overall, I do feel like I'm in a unique fantasy world that is living and breathing and changing based on my actions. And I appreciate that.
0: So how about you, Peter? You're number three. So my number three is that the rules are easy to remember. You wouldn't think they would be because there are so many different rules. But there are many games you go away from for a week, two weeks, and then you try to play it again and there's no way you could play it. But this is a game that we've gone away for a month, two months at a time, and we just come right back and start playing. It's so easy to draw a city event if you want, draw a road card, then go into the mission, and remember, you play two cards, and you do the top or the bottom. So the mechanics of the game, there's a lot of depth. It feels like there's a lot of depth. I'm making a lot of fun choices every time I'm doing things. But at the same time, The rules themselves aren't a barrier to having fun, or a barrier to the story, like I've said in some other things. And on that note, there's a cool drop-in system as well, and so players can drop in and out of the campaign. And because the rules are so easy to learn and teach, you really don't have to do a lot to get somebody up to speed as far as mechanics go. And to be honest, as we've said with the story so many times, I don't know what the story is anyway half the time. So... I don't have to worry about catching them up on the story either because I don't know. Or we'll do a refresher and I'll learn the story as we're going along (laughs) as well. (laughs) Yeah, we really need like a last time on Gloomhaven feature,
2: you know, or something
1: (laughs) like that. Oh, that would be awesome.
2: All right, uh, Gala, number two. Is is it another list of 20 items? No,
1: don't worry. This one's only 18 items, okay? Uh, No, I'm kidding. (laughs) So this one is uh, a positive for me, and it's just the unique characters. We've kind of already talked about it. Non-standard. They feel different. The biggest thing I just wanted to add is just the fact that I have never felt like I've become a character as much in any other game as I have in Gloomhaven. And I don't know if that's because I've just played Gloomhaven the most, but literally when I would sit down to the table and I was playing the Brute, I, w- I was like the Brute. I was the Brute. You know, I, I, I was my character and I really appreciate how Isaac was able to create that. And I don't know if it's because of the cards in your hand or how the minis are on the board with the standees, but it's just, you really feel that. And then the fact that Each one is just so different from the other. And as they level up, they get even more different. I just, I love that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. The characters definitely feel different. I mean, that is, well, I mean, I'm not spoiling anything. It's not my number one, but that is definitely the thing I feel stands out above and beyond the rest. So I guess it should be my number one. But, uh, yeah, the characters definitely feel very different. Like, when you pick up that hand of cards and you have a top action and a bottom action, they're always different. And I know it sounds simplistic, like the bottoms are always moves, but they're definitely not. They could be looting something. They could be shooting something. You could move and attack with the bottoms. Like, they're very different based on the character that you're using. So, yeah, I totally agree. And the reason I'm saying so much is because it's definitely not on my list and probably should be.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I, I grappled with that one, too. I almost put it on there. But speaking of characters, my number two is the slow character progression, which is another mixed one for me. So still searching for a pro. Like <laughs> it to say, unmitigated pro. <laughs> but to explain why it's mixed, so it takes a long time in terms of actual gameplay hours for your character to get noticeably better. Because each scenario, depending on how fast you play, is going to be like, you know, at least an hour, sometimes two, two and a half hours, depending on how uh, tough it is, how quick you are with the game. You know, how many different lava tiles you have to find. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Yeah, so it can be, and and especially, like, to reach your first level when you're not very good at the game and not very uh, efficient with getting experience, that can take, like, three or four or even five scenarios. So it's, like, 10 to 15 hours of gameplay to get, like, one major level up. Now it does go faster as you get better at the game, and as your level of the uh, campaign advances, you're getting more experience for free after each mission. But man, it, it's a it's a it's a really big first bump. That being said, though, like you get little bonuses once you get through the first few missions, you get little bonuses almost every time. Like uh, Colin said, you're upgrading your your attack deck or you're gaining a new skill, or you're getting a new item that gives you a small bonus. So they're little things, but man, after 10, 15, 20 plays with one character when you're getting near retirement, your character looks unique, it looks different, and they are so much more powerful and so much cooler than they were when they started. So you don't have as kind of quick uh, leveling up as you have in games like Sword and Sorcery or descent or any of those kind of things it's not as immediate of a uh, reward system but i'd kind of compare it to old D D, where you could play like three or four adventures and you'd finally level up and it'd be this big change the change is more gradual than that but over time you will see a huge change in your character
0: well mike you're a lot nicer than i am my number two is slow leveling and it is nothing but a con to me I do not like playing two or three missions before I get better. You know, the checkmark system Colin was talking about, you need three checkmarks to level up. So sometimes you'll level your character and then level up this checkmark system as well on the same mission. Sometimes it happens every other mission, whatever else. But for me, I just hate not feeling like I'm progressing, like my character is stagnant. When I do get something, when you get the actual level ups... You do add a new card to your deck as well, and you have a choice of cards to add to that deck, that 11 card deck that you play with the top and the bottom actions. You get one of those and you get a check mark. So that does feel like a bigger jump, but I hate the fact that it takes two or three missions to get there. I really am so used to campaigns, and maybe it's just impatience. And you said, Colin, you didn't want to retire character. I want to retire character every other game. Like, <laughs> I, I, I mean, there's so much content in the box. I feel like, like you were saying, I think that might be the reason you feel bored playing the same thing over and over again because you're using the same character over and over again. All the characters are so unique, so cool, and why am I having to play the same thing and doing the same actions? Like, we kind of have a standard opening now that we do with, you know, the tank, like, getting ready and beefed up and sitting up front. Like, so we have that, like, down to a science. Like, this is what we're going to do on turn one. And if we were progressing faster... That would change. One of us wouldn't have our characters anymore, so we'd have to change up the format or whatever else. So I just wish that that leveling system happened faster. You know, there's so much content in the box. I want to get to seeing some of the other content
1: yeah you know what's interesting is it would be so easy to adjust that too right i mean all you got to do is just give a little more experience on all of those cards that you play that have the experience right so instead of one you get two instead of two you get four or whatever it is and that would allow you just to level up a little bit faster my hesitation for that would be you don't know you could get yourself overpowered right i mean but you how the game works is it kind of balances itself out right because once you retire you go back down to the prosperity level right so then you come in as only a level two hero and 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 then the enemies go back down to a lower level depending upon the average and everything like that so you know it wouldn't be a bad way of doing it of maybe being able to increase the amount of experience you get per game just to speed up that process you know just just a thought
0: Nah, totally Part of the problem becomes that they put 99 missions in, right? So they don't want the content to run out. They don't want you to run out of characters, I guess, before you get all those missions done. So it might be a consequence of just how large and sprawling it is. And it's great that it's that way, and I love that it's that way, but the leveling system really bothers me. Like, I, I'm, I'm impatient to move on. Yeah, I hear you.
2: Colin. Big drum roll, number one. Ah, yes.
1: Okay, number one is definitely a positive for me, and that's just the hand management system, how that works in this game. Just the fact, I can't think of any game, that any other game, where you have all of these actions available to you, right? You've got every single card in your hand, and then you're going to slowly play them, and you're going to get less and less, and then what you'll do is you rest, and you'll get almost all of them back, but then as you're playing, you continually lose cards, and you've got cards that you can play one time for an awesome ability, but then it's gone forever, right? And, and so you have this whole hand management and trying to determine which cards to play, which to save, which ones do you want to use for which actions. Oh, you know, the brute only has these like two cards that are above 30 in initiative. So you got to save those in your hand. So when you really need to go first, you can play those for your initiative card. I I just, I love how that works. And then guess what? You get attacked, you're going to, you're going to die. Well, now you got to lose more cards. So you don't, and which ones do you pick? And and so I, I feel like of any game that I've played, Managing your hand and your actions has never been more important than in Gloomhaven, and it really creates this tense wonderful experience for me and every game that i play you feel it in a different way because it all depends upon which enemies are attacking who you're playing with what's you know what which are what is your hero setup of your characters ah man it's it's fantastic i i love that and then if nothing else you play those two cards and your actions that you had planned don't work out well you just you got the attack to move to that you always can fall back on so it's not like you'll never do uh, you know you won't do anything on your turn you'll have a way of doing something I only wish that there was some way i I don't know if this ever happened to you guys but we sometimes have a character fall behind and only being able to move one time can really be a problem and then they're wasting attack cards because they can't there's nothing on the top part of their cards to move so I wish there was a way to somehow maybe either you lose a card or something to be able to like do a big move and catch up if there's some sort of reason why you got stuck behind the group. But yeah, otherwise, I just love the hand management in this game.
0: Yeah, I actually have cards in my deck specifically to move far. And cards with attack on the top that aren't my favorite card. But I just have them there so I can catch up with the group if I fall behind. Well, Colin, you totally stole
2: my thunder (laughs) because my number one is basically the exact same as your number one. I'll just call out a couple of things you didn't say. One of the things I really love in addition to everything Colin said is that anytime you get hit by an attack... You can cancel the entire attack by trashing one of the cards from your hand. And man, what a great hard choice to make. Like, when you get smashed by, like, a four or a five or a six attack, it's like, ah, oh, I really can't handle that and survive, but don't want to lose a card for the rest of this mission? It's fantastic. And yeah, I, I would say a game this, like, kind of reminds me of, not not really in the core mechanics, but it's just something I love. I love games where your deck is both what you can do and also your life force. Gears of War did it fairly well, but probably my favorite one is a, uh, is a like one-versus-many game uh, that's been gone for a while called Middle-Earth Quest. And the way Middle-Earth Quest handles your, like, hand management and resting does have some similarities to this game, and I adored that game, too. And, man, this is just an amazing card play. So I've had mix and cons up until this point, but this pro pretty much blows them all out of the water. I just adore the way this game
0: handles your cards and your management and your actions. Well, you know it's funny? We've had this happen before, but maybe not a three-way. We have a clean sweep at number one. <laughs> yes. Nice. My, uh, <laughs> I thought we might, you know. Honestly, I, I came in this review and I, I could have guessed that right away. I was like,
2: we're gonna have different five, four, three, two. We're gonna have the exact same number one. Yeah. That
0: is the best part of the game, you know? It really is. That two card system, and I'll I'll try to throw in something a little bit different. In the fact that you have tough choices. And something we haven't talked about a lot is you pick those two cards at the beginning of the round. But you don't decide which is the top and the bottom. You know going in what you want to do, but because you don't know what everybody else is doing because everybody's selecting simultaneously, and you talk a little bit about it, but you don't want to give too much away, and maybe it doesn't work out. Maybe, you know, Mike's going first, and he's supposed to kill this thing, but guess what? He fluffs his attack, and now this thing that is in my way of doing (laughs) what I wanted to do is still there. So now I've got to change my plan on the fly And one of the great parts about the system is not only do I have one top action available to me, but I have two available to me now. So I can look at the other card and say, you know what? This would be way better if I use the top action from this card and the bottom from this card. So it actually gives you a lot of choice, but it also narrows your choices. You only have two choices when you go in. You know, am I going to use the top of this card or the top of this card? The bottom of this card or the bottom of this card? So you go in with a plan, but if it all falls apart, you still have a backup plan that you can go to. And that really stands out for me and makes the game shine.
2: All right, so uh, let's get the final thoughts. Uh, We ended on a pro, but is it enough to make the game a uh, home run? Colin, what do you think? Yeah,
1: for, for me... Uh, definitely, this is still my number one co-op overall. I mean, it's it's one that my wife will play with me almost any time, and that is always a positive. <laughs> but to to have hand management, to be able to play a unique character, all of my v- awesome mechanics that I listed out—sorry about that—but those awesome mechanics just bring me back to the game because all I can do is think about them and how fun they are and how they interact. Yeah. Even though the campaign, I have no idea what's going on in the story, I still come back to this purely because the mechanics are so fun and I just love playing it.
2: All right, Mike. Uh, So I had three mixed, one con and only one pro at the end, which is one of the worst distributions I've (laughs) had for a game we've reviewed. And all that being said, I friggin' love this game. It's on my mind. You know, I've been playing a bunch with uh, Jerry and Peter in a uh, three-person game. I just got my uh, Kickstarter second edition. I've probably played it, like, five times in three days. I want to play it after we do this interview. <laughs> I want to play it again tomorrow. I want to I play it instead of seeing my family on Thanksgiving. Yes. Like, it's just, like, it's just on my mind. You know, and, and I totally agree with Colin. You have to take breaks. I'll say... Um, a few caveats, like definitely get the game, but a few things to note. Number one, if you're worried about the setup, if you're worried about storing everything, use some of my things. Like, literally, I have three quarters of the content of the game sitting in some random box in a corner, and I'm never going to touch it. All I have is the stuff I actually need, and setup for me takes like three minutes. It's fantastic. You know, if you don't mind your uh, giants looking like skeletons <laughs> and your lava <laughs> looking like gas. And the other thing is that's been huge for me, and, and we've also started using it in our uh, regular game, is uh, people have made these amazing apps that make the game so much simpler and easy to play. The big one for me is somebody has an online app that handles all of the monster AI, and finding all those monster cards with so many monsters takes forever in terms of setup and teardown. And this app handles everything, and it even tells you, like, what damage they do based on the level you're playing at. And you put in the scenario number, like, 33, and bam! It gives you every monster you need for it. It's fabulous. And similarly, if you're worried about the legacy aspect, because I don't like to do stickers... I have another app that handles all of my party, tells me what everybody has leveled. If I want to start a new party, it's all handled. It tells me which scenarios I've been to, which ones I've completed. doesn't help me know what's going on in the story, but, you know, you can only get as much as you can get. Yeah. But, yeah, I, I would say um, if you're willing to bring a little bit of electronic assistance into the game, it can really streamline the experience so that the, the kind of drudgery that we've been talking about fades away, and you're left with just this amazing, mechanical dungeon crawling experience that's so enjoyable, clearly, for all three of us. It reminds me a bit, Galaxy Defenders, I, I don't even play that anymore unless I have this amazing, like, all-in-one app that somebody made, keeps track of my party, does all the events so I don't have to build an event deck, does all the enemy activation so I don't have to build the enemy activation deck, like, it takes a game that took 30 minutes to set up into, like, 5 minutes. So this is kind of going back to one of our very first design discussions, app integration, when we did uh, Mansions of Madness 2nd Edition. And I'm like 100% on the app train, man. Just sign me up for any game that has any amount of like annoying fiddliness or annoying things to keep track of. So if you're going to play Gloomhaven, please do. It's an amazing game. But save yourself some trouble, play with gas for lava, and download some
0: apps. And I will put the links to those apps in the show notes. So check the show notes for those, and you can link right over to the apps. The other part of that is check out last week's Descent discussion, because Descent puts all that in one app that runs the AI for you and keeps track of all your party information. So I think if that interests you, listen to the Descent, although I'm going to say don't go out and buy Descent today, because we just had a little bit of news just come out yes. where the Imperial Assault app is coming. Oh, yeah, I did. Yeah, Imperial Assault app,
2: like, and I've read all the rules, I've looked at all the screenshots, it's the Descent app, and I have no problem with that whatsoever, because that app works fabulously, so I am so excited, they said it's coming out soon, we're recording this uh, Monday, so man, I hope, like, soon is tomorrow, or tonight, although then it's gonna fight Gloomhaven, and I don't even know who will win, it's like a (laughs) Jedi versus, like, you know, some giant guy with horns, That's, that's a hard one to call.
0: (laughs) <laughs> By the way, Mike said it's Monday. That's Monday, November 20th, 2017. <laughs> for those of you listening in the future, it's <laughs> it <was> Monday. Monday. <laughs>
2: the, the, the podcast lists like when it was posted. I figure they'll know it was the Monday
0: before the Sunday, but yeah, all right, fine. Peter, tell us your final thoughts, man. All right, so my final thoughts are very similar to everybody else's. I'm not going to rehash everything. It is one of those games that is earth changing for me. I never really liked a dungeon crawl game. I mean, every I've wanted to like so many dungeon crawl games, and I'm starting to like them more and more, but there's always something that feels like it's missing. I don't like one versus many. I like the app integration of Descent, and I think that's a really great, clean system, but it still feels rep- more repetitive to me than Gloomhaven because I feel like I'm making more choices in Gloomhaven. And that's the biggest thing for me is... I've never felt mentally challenged. And it's great for Beer and Pretzels Night to play some of these other games. And trust me, I'm actually jonesing to get back to Sword and Sorcery. But for me, this game gives me the crunchy, brain-thinky stuff I want out of a Dungeon Crawl game. As well as the cool, getting to go around and slay monsters part of it as well. So I think it does a really good job of integrating that Euro along with that great, um, you know, Ameritrash fighting, kill stuff. <laughs>
1: Ameritrash, fighty, killy stuff. I love that. I want to quote that. Absolutely. <laughs> that should
2: be like the subtitle of Gloom yes. Gloomhaven. Yes. <laughs> Gloomhaven. Or, sorry, I guess that's not the no.
1: Ameritrash, fighty, <laughs> yeah. killy stuff.
0: That, that's Descent and there you go. And
1: yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, you know, right, Isaac, so, uh, you, have, you have
0: permission to quote me on the box for that for yeah. the next printing. <laughs> all nice. the crunchiness of a Euro game along with the fighty, killy stuff. <laughs>
1: that's amazing.
0: <laughs> Technical term, copyrighted. Oh,
1: op
2: So uh, interestingly enough, because we all had it as our number one, the card play and the card management, our design discussion for today, and Colin, I hope you can stick around for this. Oh, yes, I can. Great. Uh, is games that use cards as the action system, card-based uh, actions and card management to control what you can do on your turn. Specifically focusing on co-ops that do this, but this is a mechanic that's popular in a lot of games, especially uh, war games, for example. So I think we can widen the uh, the discussion a bit. So I thought uh, we could start out with the pros we each see to having this kind of like card-based action system like in Gloomhaven. So, uh,
0: Peter, you want to start us off with some pros for you? Sure. I mean, the biggest thing for me is it gives you a lot of selection, So I'm thinking of Gloomhaven specifically, and I'm thinking of Battle Lore specifically as well. It gives you a lot of options. You know, you don't have one option sitting in front of you. You start off with a hand of 11 cards, then you narrow it down to two, then you get to pick one from the top and one from the bottom here. Or for Battle Lore, you're limited by four cards. So it gives you constraints. It makes you think within constraints, but it also gives you tough choices in those constraints and a lot of times does let you do what you want to do, but maybe not in the most ideal way, which is great because life is not ideal. And so it also makes it so that I feel like the analysis paralysis goes down a little bit because your choices are limited to those three or four things.
1: Yeah, and on top of that, I just I want to mention something too about it is you know the other game that I was thinking of is Spirit Island actually because if you think of Spirit Island, yep. everything that you can do in yep. Spirit Island is on the cards and and the big thing I can think of is uh, multi use right so you can use them for multiple different things so just like in Gloomhaven or even in Spirit Island you can use them for different things or even a combination of those things and if you think about Gloomhaven you're using it for potential move potential attack and initiative so that's three different things you're using your cards for. Plus, the cards overall in your hand is your is your, one of your life sources. So if you run out of them, you're exhausted for the for the rest of that uh, game. So it's really cool, uh, a really good way of being able to provide a timer, provide different uh, uses for doing different actions. I, I love the system; it's fantastic.
2: Yeah, and uh, agreeing with all the things you all said, and it is funny. <laughs> I was listing games that use this, and I was like, oh, Spirit Island. We've talked to Colin about that <laughs> yeah, game
1: before. That's why I thought I'd bring it up. So we're
2: only bringing you on for games that have hand uh, management and I'm actions okay with on that. cards. i <laughs> uh, <laughs> Yeah, some of the best ones have it. Yeah, I, I think uh, it, it lends itself to the tactical puzzle that we talked about in our design discussion with Spirit Island. When you have like these small choices, and I echo everything else you all already said. Um, additionally, I think it does give you the freedom to make the actions you take turn to turn much more varied. And you really see that if you compare, like, Descent or Sword and Sorcery to Gloomhaven. Descent or Sword and Sorcery, you're doing basically, you know, beyond using special powers infrequently, you're doing basically the exact same stuff turn to turn to turn. Gloomhaven, you're doing vastly different stuff. Like, this turn, you're smashing through people and throwing somebody. And this next turn, you're picking up uh, items from far away and shooting a bow at somebody. So because, and you know, same thing in Spirit Island, this turn you're doing a tsunami and next turn you're healing the land. Because the cards can contain all the information, you can have this huge amount of variety, but still make it simple and not
0: overwhelm people with the choices they have. Yeah, no, that's a really good point. I hadn't thought about that. But it is really nice that you can have specialized actions because you don't have to teach the rule to everybody. Just whoever has that card in their hand, this is a special rule. You have very basic actions that everybody needs to learn and then you can put them together in neat combinations because the card gives you the rule as you're playing it so that is neat and the way they've done it both here and in spirit island they do a really good job of integrating the thematic elements of it with what action is actually happening on the board totally all right so some cons uh, peter why don't you start us off again all right well another game i thought of that uses this system is mage Knight. And remember how I said it simplifies your actions and reduces analysis
1: paralysis?
0: (laughs) Here's the counterexample to that. When you have so many options open to you and the cards can be used for many different things, you put it upside down to boost any of your other actions. You know, you can use it to move, whatever else. I, I can't even remember. It's been so long since I played Mage Knight. But... Sometimes it can be overwhelming with the number of options that are presented to you at one time. Like when I first got my hand of cards in Gloomhaven, I looked at eleven cards with eleven yes. different tops and eleven different bottoms. What do you And I'm do? like, I have no idea. I just picked two cards at random, <laughs> yes. to be honest. And I'm like, I'm gonna go down to these four choices and we'll figure it out from there. Clearly as I've played with the cards more, I you know, feel more and more comfortable with what they all do. But yeah, the number of choices that can be presented to you, and especially if they are all unique, can get overwhelming at times. And so I think you have to be cautious if you are going to use this kind of system. I think Memoir probably does it the best of all the ones we've talked about in the fact that you only have three or four different choices in your hand. Nah, Totally. Alan how about you?
2: Some cons.
1: Yeah, so, the you know, going on that same line, you also can potentially be limited with hand management, right? So when you're, you're doing uh, with hand management in Gloomhaven, you only have two cards in your hand. That's the only two things you're going to be able to do. Versus in Descent, you might be able to do more just because you're not using your hand for your action points or your your actions themselves. So there there's kind of two sides to the coin, right? I mean, you... You get limited actions because of the cards in your hand, but then that means there's less that you potentially could do. So I I could see that being a negative.
2: To build on that, I think uh, not only does the game kind of play you sometimes if you only have certain cards in your hand, but also you have the potential of the really frustrating inaction, and especially like non-thematic inaction, like... My guy should be able to walk, like you were oh, saying in Gloomhaven. Yeah. Like, can yeah. my guy just run over there? Like, exactly. I am a person, right? I have legs. Can I? Can I just walk faster? No, nope, move. Why too. can't I move? <laughs> um, yeah, exactly. Because
0: you got analysis
2: paralysis, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and another example in a co-op game, uh, going back a bit, is Space Alert, which I love. But yeah, it's like you know, in space alert. Sometimes, like you're in the computer room, you need to move that mouse. So you don't lose the entire game, and oh, you don't have any C's, and it's like the mouse is right there, man. Just like, just like, push it. Just push it with your hand. Okay, kick it, throw a rocket, do something. But you can't fall you C on card. it. I mean, who cares? <laughs> and, and and kind of like the the classic example, I think of this is not a co-op game, but uh, the Combat Commander series, which I adore, and I think it does kind of make thematic sense in a World War II setting. But yeah, like combat commander, it's like, oh, my guys have tons of rifles. Can they please shoot at the Germans over there? Just for a second. Come on, man. So um, I think it does add to the tension, like in a pro for that, but it can definitely be super frustrating when you just literally can't do what you know your character should be able to do because the cards say no.
0: Yeah, and we've definitely had scenarios like that in Gloomhaven where it's like, I have this whole thing planned out, and then for whatever reason, you know, somebody pulls super great pulls from the card deck and all the enemies are dead, and they're like, Huh. So <laughs> I'm just going to walk over here and hit myself with my sword in the head. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, uh, so the
2: last thing I'd like to discuss are uh, suggestions for designers of these games. Clearly these are going to come from the pros and the cons, but just kind of collect it together. So, Peter, what would be your suggestion for somebody designing a game that includes a card-based action system? Give
0: your players options in those cards. So make them flexible. Don't make it too flexible where you can do anything in the world. You still need to have some constraints because that's one of the benefits of having these cards is making people feel smart working within constraints. But you need to have some kind of an out. And they try to do this in Gloomhaven with the always attack on the top and always move on the bottom. But I feel like it even needs to be more than that. Maybe give people the option to always move on both half of the cards or something like that. If you feel or if you see turns where people are frustrated playing your game through playtesting because they can't do anything, Mm. figure out a way to solve that problem. Colin, how about you? Uh, A major suggestion
2: for a designer trying to put this in their game?
1: I think Spirit Island does it really well as well. And that is when you gain new cards, you don't just look at one, you look at five. You get options on the cards that you get to purchase into your hand or into your deck. So instead of having to, you know, instead of just giving them one or even just two options for them to put into their hand to be able to use, give them five options give them a lot of options and then they can only pick one so they only get one so they're not going to become too strong but it gives them gives the player more options to kind of decide how they want to make their character how they want you know for if you're thinking about gloomhaven which cards in the discard pile when you're putting them back in your hand which one do you want to lose so that you make sure you still have your move forward who's on the bottom of one of your cards you know so something like that being able to have those options i think is just really important
2: i'll just add two more First, we kind of mentioned this, but pick which side you want to be. If you want to have a lot of variety and complexity in the cards, and each card be very different, then limit the number that players are going to have in their hand to consider. Like, they pick between two or three or four. Gloomhaven does get around this, but that's because you live with that character for year. you know? (laughs) Like, you get to know those 11 brute cards like the back of your hand. Yeah, exactly. Or if you're going to go the other side and you want them to have a lot of cards, make them very simple. Like Space Alert, you know, you can have 20 cards in your hand, but it's A, B, C, or Robot. And, you know, nothing changes beyond that, so it's still very easy. And I think, you know, I, I do like Mage Knight a lot, but it definitely makes the choice to have a lot of cards in your hand sometimes. And they're all incredibly complicated. <laughs> so, you know, that's where you get into analysis paralysis. And if you don't want that in your game, you got to pick one side or the other. And the other thing I'll say, and again, Gloomhaven and Spirit Island are perfect uh, ones for for this, is um, you want to have a decent amount of randomness from like the enemy or the AI or whatever in between selecting from the card deck and the resolution of those cards. Because otherwise you can get into a situation where there's an obvious best choice and having that little bit of obfuscation and confusion about what the enemy is going to do makes uh, the alpha player thing go down and also just makes your choices more interesting so in gloomhaven you don't know what ai card the enemy are going to do and what initiative they're going to act on so for example my uh, my brute will often like play the retaliate card like oh yeah come attack me i'm gonna get tons of experience and smack you all and then all the guys like shoot bows at him and i just sit there and get you know killed and, and similarly in Spirit Island, like you'll play the perfect thing, but you don't know where like, the explorers are going to show up. You don't know exactly how all of the invader actions are going to work out, although there it's a little bit more of a puzzle. So try to have some kind of randomness between picking the cards and then resolving so that your players can't uh, perfectly plan the turn and you still keep that tension and cut down alpha player.
0: Yeah. And the next thing I'm going to say, maybe a little controversial and maybe not everybody agrees, because obviously the top two ranked games on BGG of the systems that use this totally disregard this. But give people new stuff, you know, make people level up, give them new choices as the game goes along. You don't see that as much in Mage Knight. It That also has a very slow leveling system, even though you get two or three new powers between now and the end of the game. It doesn't feel like it's as fast as I want it to be. And same with Gloomhaven, obviously. You're only going to get a new card every two to three missions at the fastest. So when you have these neat systems where people are using cards for neat things, I like it better the way Spirit Island does it, where you get to get new ones throughout the game. And you get to learn them slowly-ish. You know, I'll get one new card a turn. So I get to figure out what that new card does but I still want to get new cards all the time, because that is the neatest part of those games. All right.
2: So, uh, yeah, this is a, a clearly, it made Gloomhaven work for all of us, so it's a great thing to investigate. A lot of great games do it. Uh, Some other ones I just want to throw out there, uh, Castle Panic has a pretty simple little uh, card-based action system. One I haven't played yet, but I've heard very good things about, is Freedom, the Underground Railroad. Absolutely. Which has a yeah, card-based system a little bit more akin to some of, like, the war games uh, and Twilight Struggle and that kind of stuff. Uh, any other games you all could think of for this mechanic that you wanted to throw out?
0: Well, we just played two of them. Flee, the new one from Freedom and Freeze. is oh, very yeah. much card-driven. And Dragonfire, the new one that upgrades...
1: Shadowrun Crossfire.
0: Yeah, yeah, that <laughs> upgrades. Upgrade... Yeah, maybe. Well...
1: Yeah, and Gears of War. You guys mentioned Gears of War. Oh, that yeah, one, yeah Gears of War is a great one. Fire Team Zero. I think that's another one where... You, oh, good call. Yep.
2: Yeah, I'm, I'm actually not sure if I would include Flea and Dragonfire because all the rest of the games we're talking about have board play in addition to the cards, yeah. but the cards dictate what happens on the board, whereas those, I would say, are purely card games. I would I would kind of do a distinction between those.
0: Yeah, that's true. Uh, yeah, I guess it's more deck building for uh, for Dragonfire specifically. Right. All right, so I'll cut all that out. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Alright, that's gone. All right.
0: I'm not gonna make myself look stupid. Yeah. Are you kidding me? <laughs>
1: Oh, you guys are awesome. Man, this is fun. All
2: right, so uh, we, we should have done this earlier, but uh, Colin, thanks so much for being our guest. Colin is from uh, One Stop Co-op Shop on YouTube. Colin, can you tell us uh, some of your recent videos? Uh, what have you been playing through recently?
1: Oh, yeah, I'm doing uh, This War of Mine. I'm on, I'm on day four. That one's rough. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> oh,
2: my gosh. We, we've we been playing that game a lot recently. Have that you? so... But shake, man. I can't believe
1: you're smiling right now. I'm going to be completely honest. You know, that, wow, that game is, is rough on the, on the emotion too. Jeez. Uh, doing Tomb of Annihilation, the new D&D adventure board oh, game, yeah. doing that yeah. one. I am going to actually do a Gloomhaven playthrough in the next two weeks with, uh, Timothy. That's going to be a lot of fun. So awesome. yeah, that, that's kind of what's coming in the pipeline.
2: Great. Yeah. Well, so everyone, please go check out one-stop co-op shop. It's a, a great channel. Did you do a seventh continent playthrough yet? I did do a seventh
1: continent playthrough.
2: Ah oh, man. I, I'm about to borrow that from Jerry. I might go check it out before I do so, just to get a little uh, taste of things to come.
1: Yeah, good luck. <laughs> You're going to need it.
2: <laughs> be ready I'm to die. die. I know I'm going to die. <laughs> okay, Starve good. to death, get eaten by worms, yep. you know, lots of fun P- stuff. Pretty
1: much all that, all the above. <laughs>
0: cool, and just a few programming notes for us. In two weeks, we're going to be covering Pandemic Legacy Season 2. Oh, I can't wait for oh, so that I'm so excited yeah. for that one. And then for our final episode of the year, we're going to go back and look at all the reviews we've done so far for the year and rank our games this year, how just the ones we reviewed, we're going to order them 1 to 15, you know, our favorite co-op we reviewed this year to our least favorite co-op we reviewed this year, and just talk a little bit about it. Oh, it's going to be really tough. Oh, man. What is the difference between, like, number 12 and number 13? <laughs> <laughs> You got four weeks to figure it out. You'll be fine. We're going to rank the games that we've looked at so far, just so you have an idea where we're sitting overall, because a lot of them we didn't even do, you know, final reviews. We just did final thoughts for. Hopefully, it'll be uh, an entertaining episode, just hearing how we disagree about certain games. I know that's coming.
1: (laughs) Oh, that's the best part.
0: Alright, well, thanks for listening everybody
2: and please go check out Colin at One Stop Co-op Shop on YouTube Colin, thanks so much for coming back again We'd love to have you whenever you're available, man Loved it, thanks so much, you guys
0: Thanks for joining us on another episode of Co-op Cast We'll be back in two weeks to review another cooperative board game Until then, please review us on iTunes And while you're there check out Mindless Fate They provide our bumper music also, if you like co-op games and why else would you be here, check out coopboardgames.com. They have some great cooperative board game material. If you want to contact us, feel free to follow us on Twitter, at MVP Games or email us at mvpboardgames at gmail.com.
2: This was definitely the toughest game I think we've done in terms of nailing it down to five things. And even, even now, I'm still second-guessing some of my five.
1: I'm totally cheating with how I'm saying my five, so yeah, I get uh, it. you piece of cheese. Yeah. <laughs> You'd be like, it's, it's this and also this and, this and this. And this and this and this, and it's that thing too. Yeah, yeah.
2: Colin, do you want to add anything?
1: No, I I think you guys got it all. That sounds good. I mean, that's a nice basic overview. I like it.
2: We destroyed that rules review.
1: Yeah, that, that was the best one I've heard you guys do. That's a hard thing to do for that game. but That was perfect.
2: All was right. amazing. Well, Mike... <laughs> Mike...
0: <my, laughs> Well, wow let's just sit here and pat ourselves on the back a little bit more and
1: uh, <laughs> well seriously though i was wondering how you guys were going to do that I just, yeah, I wasn't, I, I, I just, yeah
2: i just i just want to stop the review now yeah let's drop we're the done. mic <laughs> the rules are done all you need to do let's go, go, go play home. the game people <laughs> yeah.
0: yes yes you don't need anything else and that rules explanation will take you right through your first oh, game yeah, <laughs> exactly <don't> <laughs> no not after issues. that <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you don't even know, Who do, cares you don't about
1: conditions? Like, who cares about any of that other stuff? No, don't you, you even already punch know.
2: Punch out the components. Yeah. Just put down a board. Put down <laughs> your guy. Play some cards. You're golden. Oh,
1: yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah, it could be like a deck of poker cards. You Seriously. don't need, <laughs> you don't need <laughs> blue <laughs> cards. Like, you cards. You can pull out the descent board, pull out some miniatures, <laughs> throw some cards on the table. You're good to go. Okay,
2: so for those who have not listened to uh, our co-op cast. Wait, is that what we're called? I, mean, I hope so. It's <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. a great name, by the way. Co-op cast, really catchy. I'm glad it's our name. Oh, yeah. All right, so uh, yeah, yeah. if you have not
0: listened... Wow, I'm going to have to bleep you a lot on that rant there. And did I say is beep? A bad word? <laughs> well, you said a bunch of stuff. That's all right. I'll yeah, go sorry. back and edit it. That's all right. I'll put in silly, stupid words, and maybe people <laughs> will catch it and maybe not, because nobody commented last time I did that for you. I didn't <laughs> notice it. I was like... I put in, like, waterfall when he said something, like, <laughs> that was clearly... Um, I'll, I'll, try, I'll try to watch myself. <laughs> <laughs> I yes, did not even so...
1: notice that. You did that on Descent?
2: No, no. This was, no. like, five or six episodes ago. Oh,
1: okay. Actually, I think it was
0: the last time you were on, Colin. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, man. It might have been. I don't know. I just put random... Wor- yeah, he gets excited when you're on, Colin. Yeah, I like having like new sailor. people to talk to. Give me a break. <laughs> 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 and the reason it's number five is there are trips trips (laughs) or trips (laughs) you trip a lot while you're setting up the (laughs)
2: game
1: seriously man
2: (laughs) nah totally can i just say peter for, for all you listening at home this is hilarious Peter is, like, actively, strenuously gesturing like anybody cares what his hand <laughs> movements are doing. He's, like, illustrating the top and the bottom of the card. i was watching the Skype feed. of like, wow, well, this is really engaging. Thanks, Peter. Thanks for making my audio experience so much more enjoyable. Well, yeah, that's why I hit my mic stand
0: halfway through that soliloquy and I had to start back over. I was so excited and
1: energetic. I messed myself up so awesome (laughs) i'm doing the same thing you guys just can't see it so i did the exact same thing there we
2: go colin's video feed is not here (laughs) no
0: burn baby burn
2: disco (laughs) inferno oh man